Our dear Heavenly Father, we're grateful to meet here this evening and discuss uh, about our, our Savior Jesus Christ, about his appearances, uh, anti-mortal, and we pray that we'll have the Spirit with us this evening as we do so that we'll be able to glean the things that are there for us and that we will understand and that we hopefully that we can um, put this to memory so that we can um, remember the things that we're learning here. And we're grateful for this class time and all the members that are here that are that bring such good insight to the classes and we appreciate each one of them. And we're grateful for our prophet, President Nelson. We pray for him and those who work with him and all the apostles. And these blessings we pray for in the name of thy son, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. All right, so diving in, um, if anybody doesn't have it, we're in the, the Learn of Me, and it's number five tonight. Um, so Jesus Christ, anti-mortal appearances. Um, so what kind of insights and, and things, did anyone have anything that they wanted to, to bring up before we kind of dive in? Um, I was thinking about just kind of taking each one of them and uh, just going and actually reading through uh, those with the different translations and, and things. Um, all the different entries, but if somebody had anything that they wanted to start off with, they were some very interesting um, passages and um, questions being brought out uh, that I think was so fun. I thought it was interesting, Cameron. Um, one of the things that I noticed just from um, reading these all together is how um, I think that people saw him and heard him, but they always talk about a, a similitude or a personage or a glory. And so it sounds to me like um, the sense of touch was not involved. Maybe the hearing and the sight, but I don't believe that there were any that there was actually touch involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a very interesting one that uh, was brought out in a couple different places there with, with touch that I had the same question. I, I, I just never had thought about it, I guess, but <laughs> it's very right. interesting, isn't it? But yeah. So, yeah, let's, let's dive into the first Genesis one there. Um, so, again, I'm <laughs> Bible Hub is where I go for uh, all things <laughs> lately, but... Um, it just kind of compares all of the different versions or translations of the text. And uh, I find it just so interesting to, to kind of take and, and look at different word studies. Mm -hmm. So here with um, Genesis 12, verse 7, uh, I'm just kind of reading off the, the top one here, the New International Version. But it says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So it was interesting through a couple of these, um, it makes 
very specific mention of an altar that accompanies the appearance of the Lord. And so I, I found that kind of intriguing with, is it always the case and uh, not all of the writers mention it or is an altar uh, not required for that visitation of the Lord? Or what is a modern equivalent of that? Are uh, temples and, and holy places uh, uh, an okay substitute in, in our modern days uh, for an appearance of the Lord? Or Anyway, it was just kind of an interesting question that was getting brought out there. Um, let's see, and then going kind of piggybacking off of that one. So Jacob um, named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. So um, kind of that ongoing question throughout scripture that the scriptures keep kind of contradicting themselves that uh, no man can see the face of God and live versus some that do see him and live. And so I, I find those interesting throughout all of these scriptures that we'll be studying tonight. Which is it? And and how do we wrestle with that paradigm that some of the scriptures seem to uh, counteract each other in that? Let's see. Um, one thing that I wanted to do on this one was do a word study. Sorry for scrolling fast here. But I, I found this word, um, the very last one that's in there. Uh, in the King James, it says, my life is preserved. Um, the original here kind of connotes a, a spared. Uh, if we look up Strong's definition of it, to strip, plunder, deliver oneself, or be delivered, snatch away, or deliver. It has quite a few different connotations um, based upon how that word is used. And I think each of them are kind of interesting, plugging them back into this scenario and seeing which one um, seems to fit and uh, kind of take a look at that. Let's see. Yeah, so going to Exodus. I think this is where I spent most of my time. I got distracted for like two hours on <laughs> these verses because there's so much stuff here. So um, my first thing that... I noticed here was, and they saw the God of Israel. So mm -hmm. I wanted to, to go look in context, right? Who is they? Mm -hmm. And the preceding verses talk about Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 elders. So we've got quite a handful of people here that are um, encountering this. It says, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, as it were the body of heaven in his clearness. And so some of that was just not hitting me totally. <laughs> I was like, what is it saying here? But looking at the different translations uh, against each other, King James is the only one that changes the pronoun um, to his clearness. But... All of the other versions and the, the Hebrew original point to this phrase as pertaining to the sapphire stone. Oh. So the sapphire stone was as, uh, it was as clear as the sky or clear as the heavens, uh, clear as the sky itself. There's many different translations, but the King James is the only one that changes the pronoun to 
make that little part apply to the God of Israel, which I thought was very interesting. So let me, again, <laughs> I'm going to be scrolling a lot, so you'll just have to kind of blink while I do that. Let's see, clear, how's the sky itself? Um, as we will start diving into Hebrew next year, um, but the Hasapir Lothar Hasamayim. The the Hasamayim is pluralized here that we can see, and so it definitely doesn't apply to the God that it's talking about. It it, mm -hmm. it clearly points to um, the skies and and the the sapphire or the lapis lazuli as some. It's interesting that one was sapphire and one was lapis lazuli because sapphire is very clear and translucent and lapis lazuli is cloudy but has almost like a constellation type patterns in it uh-huh yeah but they're two it very makes me wonder. stones very different stones mm -hmm. yeah and here um like in any of those translations talks about the clear as the sky itself and so it does seem to point more towards the sapphire quality is it'd be really interesting to see like why some of these translations take that and plug in the lapis lazuli as well anyway I, I, lapis lazuli just... is very popular in the middle east Mm -hmm. I have jewelry when I, from when I lived there that are made of lapis lazuli. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so another thing that's kind of interesting along with all of these different um, verses and descriptions here was to, to look at our modern revelation as well, like compare it to the Kirtland experience and what they've seen and how they described it. Uh, Lorenzo Snow in the Salt Lake Temple, uh, many of our, our modern prophets are likewise using a lot of these different phases, or not necessarily these phrases, but these characteristics describing what he's standing on or above or um, different likenesses that, um, are, that are standing out to them. I found it very interesting that here in Exodus, uh, we're talking about what he's standing on and how clear it is. It's clear as the sky itself. Um, but going to the next verse, let's see. So it, this one's translated quite a few different little ways. Um, taking a look. So, but God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. And so what does it mean to, to raise a hand? A different translation and though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. So different translations can, can take very different nuances to, to the meaning here. Uh, he did not lay his hand on the chief men. Um, there was one that was really interesting. Where is it? Oh, uh, stretch out his hand. That really reminded me of like Isaiah. There's lots of different phrases in Isaiah where he stretches out his hand. Um, sometimes it's uh, described a little bit more nuanced, but um, the Hebrew on this I found particularly interesting. Mm -hmm. So the verb is salah, um, which is to send away, 
or to send for or to send out. And anyway, that even made me more confused, so I had to actually go into to Strong's here. So Strong's 7971, um, because we're trying to look at what he is not doing to these 70 elders, uh, plus some, that they are able to, to see God. And so I found this a very interesting word study um, with Salah here. Um, it has 847 occurrences in the Hebrew Bible. <laughs> so, I mean, there's quite a bit. And it's um, kind of, it narrows down into a couple different categories. But a lot of times it's stretching forth a hand or sending forth something. Um, uh, once in a while, it's put forth a hand. But what kind of implications does that have in this verse? I, I just found that very interesting. It seems like the implications they're implying are some form of violence or harm to them. But instead they are included and that God is inclusive and they eat and drink together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He did not so, send them away, you know, in other words. And then there's that idea that comes from Genesis or from Moses um, about not being able to see God and and live. Mm -hmm. So there's yeah. also that maybe some resonance from that particular tradition or belief. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, jumping to that one that you just mentioned there, the Exodus 33, um, when the Lord tells him, "Thou canst not see my face." Like he he specifically says face, mm -hmm. not his his glory or his body or anything. It's oh, it's specifically okay. his face, as mm -hmm. if his face is veiled from Moses in order to do so. But yeah, and so he lays not his hand, um, and and like you were first saying at the the beginning, um, that there's this touch element, right? That uh, we cannot touch, um, in in some aspects of this. Um, and I wonder if the, uh, some of the questions that I've got in my margins here, does that apply anti-mortal as well as post-mortal after he's resurrected? Do the people use the same phrases, um, as they are conversing with the Lord? I, that's a future study I haven't yet done, but, um, well, it's very at, interesting. At this point. He doesn't have his physical body yet. He hasn't come to earth yet to mm -hmm. get his physical body. So I would think that plays into it a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just never considered it before. Or anyway, it was just, why are they specifically pointing out that that phrase here? And, and I think mm -hmm. that is kind of what they're doing. But I just had never considered it. Um, and then the next verse where it says, or was it that one? Just a second. Because remember oh, yeah. when uh, the brother of Jared uh, saw his finger and he realized it was the Lord and he was scared that, you know, something's going to happen to him. So there was, you know, some... You're not supposed to see God yet or something. I don't know. But yeah, 
but then the Lord assured him it was okay and he showed his whole body to him as it would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so in that, that same verse that we were just looking at, uh, the very last of it says, and they ate and drank. And so um, both of these um, words here, both of these verbs, uh, to eat and to imbibe, both, uh, when you look at the different um, uh, words and how they're used throughout the Bible, they, they have very much a sacramental um, yes. connotation. Um, they do. That's the what eat I was is, thinking. Mm-hmm, that the bread and, and the wine uh, type of motif there. And so that was another thing that I just never <laughs> totally thought about. When these 70 elders go up, that um, that they're eating and drinking, that they're partaking of the, the sacred emblems with the Lord. Um, I don't know. I had just never considered that before. And then coming to the next one, I found it super interesting that the Lord said to Moses, come up and receive three different things. I will give you the tablets of stone. And it, some of the translations say with the law and commandments, but I found the King James very interesting where they insert commas. And so which is it? And, and how do we, we know the different things? So um, King James tables of stone and a law and commandments, which I have written versus some of these others that, that talk about the, the stone with the law and commandments. So again, <laughs> scrolling down, sorry if this is annoying. Um, the conjunction here is with the, the law and commandments. So it seems that King James just kind of <laughs> breaks a lot of rules uh, a lot of times with its translation, but um, it's very interesting that they do distinguish out the law and the commandments because we know that he came down with the law and that was broken and uh, he went back up and received the actual commandments and that's what they what had is the got. difference between the law and the commandments? Uh -huh. Yeah, so the higher law or um, the law that that Christ comes and uh, reinstitutes in, in the New Testament. Uh, mm -hmm. That is what was original, but uh, it was not um, received because gotcha. of their, their righteousness mm -hmm. or, or wickedness, rather. Uh, but they did receive the commandments. Uh, they received right. the, the lesser law. And are the commandments the 12 commandments, or is it the law of Moses? Uh, so the law of Moses is is afterwards, and that is specifically Moses's law to the people, or it's okay. a, a Davidic covenant. In other words, it, it's not from the Lord; it's Moses's commandment to the people. Okay. Versus um, this one, the higher law that that comes later when Christ reinstitutes it at at His coming. Okay. But yeah, these these commandments do stay and. Um, proceed uh, the mosaic law but yeah it was just interesting I'd, I'd never quite pulled those out in this story before yeah. let's see 
and is that the yeah that was the last of, of that one so uh hopping over to the exodus 33 now um so we have two different verses we have verse 11 and verse 20 even though all of the ones in between are <laughs> kind of crucial to um, the story and and having it flow there let's see can't remember which version it was but anyway just kind of reading through some of these the lord would speak to moses face to face as one speaks to a friend and you know when we were going through triumph of zion and uh the abraham book uh we learned what what a friend meant uh, a friend of god is is somebody higher up on the ladder that um it, it's a position it's a title kind of a thing and uh, moses spoke to him uh, as a friend there found that very interesting see and then moses would return to the camp but his young aide joshua son of nun did not leave the tent so we're talking the the tent or the tabernacle um that they would go in um, the holy of holies and um, joshua the son of nun did not leave the tent even though moses would i have zero idea what that means <coughs> i was looking up a bunch of commentaries today and stuff but nobody seems to have like great <laughs> answers for that it's all very um contextual or um they they seem to contradict um but it does call it the the tent here it doesn't uh, distinguish it as the the tabernacle uh, i don't know i that's a a question if anybody finds the answer i would love to um you think get it would more have into that one. anything to do where with where he's at on the ladder, Joshua. Maybe he's not uh, high enough on the ladder to to partake of these things yet. He does later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, it's totally I possible. I think so. I'm in training. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Cameron, there was a podcast, the one that you did, that Latter-day Disciples with Robert Kay, and he talked oh, wow. a little bit about a tent and what it meant in Hebrew and in the Book mm -hmm. of Mormon, so I can't remember what he yeah, said now, so <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm gonna have I'd to have go, to go back uh, and re-listen to it, so mm -hmm. that might answer your question, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to put that one on my to-do list attempt to get more insight into that one and, and why it is that, that josh wouldn't would not leave yeah um so those were the ones that i kind of like really tried to deep dive in <laughs> even though there's like I, I tried to go through like every single word of the hebrew and like go back to its original and Anyway, it was it was quite an interesting journey, uh, seeing how the translators did um, take certain words and, and really use them quite differently uh, across the translations. But I, <laughs> I tell you what, I, I fall a little bit more out of love with the King James every single day. It's just, they just are kind of random, they <laughs> how they put words in there. But... Um, so going like into to numbers, it, it, it mirrors a lot of what those Exodus ones were, were talking about. But how interesting that 
he is pulling Aaron and Miriam in here and saying, um, let's see, if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. Um, just earlier on in, I think it's the preceding chapter, is, you know, uh, his not famous one, but the one I quote all the time of word to God that all his people were prophets. Like, he's trying to, to make a huge point here with Aaron and Miriam that everyone in the camp should be prophets and they should all receive visions and dreams. This isn't just for Moses and this isn't just for Aaron and Miriam that um, uh, these things are available for all. I found it such an interesting scripture here. Um, but Moses is a little bit different because he has ascended the ladder and he's faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently or clearly without parable and metaphor. And he's just going to, to speak directly and um, lay it all on the line because of where he's at in on the ladder kind of a thing. Versus the these prophets that he's telling Aaron and Miriam about, uh, they can receive visions and dreams, um, but they are going to have to work for the interpretations and the um, the meaning behind things. So uh, it's all just kind of like this this interesting progression that I had never quite categorized before or wrestled with, and and I thought that that was just so interesting. One thing that I, I was doing with all of these was anytime that it ha listed um, God, Lord, or any of the titles of, of deity here, uh, putting which, which Hebrew version it was referring to. So, for example, um, the Isaiah one, um, the Lord, it's Adonai in Hebrew for that one. Um, the Deuteronomy one. Um, is Yahweh singular. Uh, the, the God of Deuteronomy is Elohim plural. So in that Deuteronomy 5.24, I think it's very interesting, the wordplay on Yahweh versus Elohim. So it says, And ye said, Behold, the Lord Yahweh, or singular, our God hath showed us his glory and his greatness. We have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that, and then it changes, Elohim doth talk with man and he liveth. And so Elohim is a plural. And it's, so it's talking about all of the gods doth talk with man and he liveth. It's not just the singular Yahweh, but it's um, referring to, to Elohim. Where did you find Saint. that? Where did you find that camera? Uh -huh. So just in the, the Hebrew. So let me pop over to okay. Deuteronomy 5.24. So let me scroll down. So it says, Behold the Lord, and that version is Yahweh. Yahweh. Uh -huh. So the Lord our God, um, right. which is Elohenu. Interesting. Has shown us his glory. So Jehovah, or Yahweh, shows them his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. 
today we have seen that God, Elohim, the plural, it, it's not just Jehovah anymore or Yahweh, but that God, the, the gods, can speak with a man, yet the man lives. So this is something that they're learning. They're in Deuteronomy that mm. Yahweh showed himself to us. And therefore, if he shows himself to us, we know that all the gods can show themselves to us. So God Jehovah, uh, God Elohim, like that, that it's possible to be in the presence of deity and live. And so I thought that that was super, super interesting. Oh, and one more thing with... Um, that that I learned that was kind of cool was that anytime that it's talking about um, the the man or it, it says ha adam, um, it is translated as a ruddy or a human being. A, a ruddy. That's like the earth, know. like the red earth, Adam and the red uh -huh. earth association, isn't it? Because ruddy uh -huh. is a redness, yeah. like someone yeah, that comes out of from the, the earth. Mm -hmm. That is interesting. Yeah. Is that what you and thought? So the the ruddy, because um, there's there's two types of of man or mankind uh, spoken of in different parts of the the Bible, but when it's talking about ruddy, it means that it's a man with blood in it or a, a mortal man, oh. a red man. There's a difference between a red man, a ruddy man, oh. or one that has moved on and and progressed. And so um, we see that when some people have the appearance of a man, but it's using the other word, I, I forget, I didn't write that one down, the, the other word of it, like when Jacob wrestles with an angel, that angel has the appearance of the other kind of man. It's not the ruddy man. And so I, I found that very interesting going through here, that that red blood, that mortal thing is... is really key to that verse so we have seen this it's day interesting that... so is that in that deuteronomy one that it says in the hebrew uh -huh. that when god doth talk with man it's the ready ready man uh-huh yeah so that that wow. god or elohim can speak with a oh. man or ha adam a ruddy human being yet the man lives that is so cool. That is so cool, Cameron. Man, there's so are much to be gained out of the Hebrew. <laughs> selling your Hebrew classes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just trying to like learn them because like all of these things that I I would have never gotten that even out of all the translations I never would have gotten that. But when it you go to the Hebrew, there's lots of the primary. Things. Yeah, it just shows you you have to. I mean, if you're interested in scriptures, it really is beneficial to get right into the original tongue mm -hmm. where it was yeah. inspired, you know, to inspire, to speak, to breathe the breath of life, the word. It's like it all kind of goes back to that original moment of inspiration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So interesting. It's crazy how much is lost just with that translation. And and I think, you know, I, I'm excited to start the Hebrew class. Um, but just always, I'm just amazed at when you look at the translation, how much more is there than we have 
ever been aware of. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And it's almost kind of beyond the scope of any one person to ever study all of that right like yes i i don't fault all of the translators of the scriptures Mm -hmm. you know because like i mean they were just men trying to do the best they can with language but i mean translating is is a hard process you have to know all of the different idioms and idiosyncrasies that that people are talking about and so yeah it's just necessary to go to the original if you really want to get full context and and stuff out of it you know, I was being interested in poetry and studying it when I was in school. I remember experiencing different translations of favorite poems and just not even recognizing that that was the same poem because it was in the hands of a different translator. And you would kind of find your favorite mm-hmm. translators. But it was interesting because um, the, it was such a nuanced thing. You didn't really translate verbatim because translating from one culture to another sometimes the words didn't they they weren't available in the other culture or a context for that concept was not available so they do the best they could it was really yeah well and that reminds me of how um i think we see the same thing that same thing with the hebrew you know not only the the more the depth of these words is lost but like yeah, the context, the their way of thinking, right? Like realizing when we approach the scriptures with our Western minds, there's much lost yeah. that way too, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, because one thing that we will study when we do the Hebrew class, but um, that every letter has a math, a, a number associated with it, and there's that that divine mathematics of all of it that that even lends. You know, there's just infinite levels to to all of these concepts and and things, and it's just amazing that we translate it into English and and it gets lost. And I, you know, it, it's a wonder that we get as much out of it as we do with a superficial reading of the text. I mean, we just we do the best we can, but you know, like when Avraham translates um, Isaiah a little bit more. Uh, clearer it it just makes it so much more meaningful like oh okay that's what it was saying um and and things and but it still it requires a a dive into the uh, original to to get some of that um, sorry i'm struck by the immediacy and the intimacy um that these scriptures are bringing out between their their interactions with deity with God. You know, yeah. I mean, do we? <laughs> does our Western culture even have a concept for that type of intimacy with God? Yeah, exactly. And and what are the implications of it? I mean, <laughs> we've just barely kind of dove into the Old Testament versions here. But we see that it, it comes through in the Book of Mormon, uh, Doctrine and Covenants, and that that God isn't changing in that aspect. He still wants to come to us and develop a relationship. And just like uh, both the Exodus and the Deuteronomy says here, hey, we learned something. We learned that it's possible to be in his presence in this life and and converse with him like we had no idea. Great, <laughs> we great, thought that was only Moses. 
Right. That's such a breakthrough moment. Oh. You know, but uh, these passages are delineating out uh, a, a very standard pattern that there are certain levels to it. Some of it is in dreams and visions, and some of it is face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth. And there's a huge difference between glory and his actual face. Um, There's different potencies, I I guess you could say, of it, of um, that they're able to... There's a difference in how close and how intimate the encounters are. And I've been listening Mm -hmm. to a lot of podcasts about um, people who you know, say things like they get most of their personal revelation through reading the scriptures every day. That's where they find answers to their prayers. And I'm thinking, so here's, you know, one mention made of of dreams, which are very similar to scripture because they're completely symbolic. So you really do have to be inspired to know how to, to decode or decipher those. And then, you know, going up to on this progression or this continuum to the mouth to mouth speaking where you actually hear, you know, the voice. It's a completely different type of encounter. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so let's take a look at that quote from Orson Pratt there on page 27. I think that this is crucial as we are diving through um, this and understanding it. It says, we have it recorded too in this sacred Bible that God was seen by ancient men of God. Jacob testifies as follows, for I have seen God face to face. I know that there are other passages of scripture which would seem to militate against this declaration. For instance, there is one passage which reads, no man has seen God at any time. This is in direct contradiction of the testimony of Jacob. The way I reconcile this is that no natural man can see the face of God the Father and live. It would overpower him. But one quickened by the Spirit, as old Father Jacob was, could look upon God and converse with him face to face as he says he did. He must have seen a personage of a being in his general outlines like unto himself, man. As Moses informs us, having been created in the image of God, We might refer to many other passages of scripture bearing on this subject. The prophet Isaiah saw God. He saw not only the Lord, but a great congregation in connection with him, so that his train filled the temple. He is always represented by those who have seen him as a personage in the form of a man. And so, I don't know. I don't think I knew quite how to pull apart and uh, have those scriptures wrestle nicely with each other until I did this study of the anti-mortal appearances so is that not talking about being um transfigured which is Mm -hmm. just temporary so that they can yeah yeah and so taking that i mean if you want to (laughs) take it and apply it to isaiah's ladder right where the sun servant is is temporary there, there's certain temporary things that, that happen there versus on the seraphim level, those things are permanent, uh, translated. And uh, we know that, that Moses gets to that, that level where it is a, a more intimate relationship and it's on a permanent, unconditional basis. So anyway, yeah, it, it's just 
amazing, <laughs> really, uh, to do this uh, study and, and really work through all of these different scriptures. I think one of the first things I thought when I started in on the anti-mortal appearances is that, oh, this is something I don't even know anything about. <laughs> yeah. I felt like, okay, kind of blank. I don't really have anything to write in these sections because I don't really know a lot about this. So all of a sudden, you're, you're really kind of putting some flesh on the bones here. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very interesting, isn't it? And so uh, kind of hitting on... Uh, the next page 28 with some of these references Ezekiel goes to great lengths to describe the colors and the appearance of the, the throne of the the, the man that's uh, upon it and um, and how he's feeling in that and the glory that's that's there I have a feeling that there's a lot more to glory than we even comprehend mm -hmm. that's like yeah. <laughs> this was a beautiful one this ezekiel one i really liked it yeah and, and again comparing it to the other one like the exodus one the the one that joseph smith describes him lorenzo snow um they all have very interesting similarities but yet there's some differences so i think that it's uh a fun study to, to go through, compare, and, and contrast all of these different times that, that people are seeing him. And, and, and also, if they're different, what differences there are being anti-mortal before he receives his body, and then post-mortal, if there's any differences in um, any of the, the lines or the, the descriptions. Uh, like one thing that we had talked about, like the touch, right? After he has ascended, he's all about touching. Yeah, I come, know. thrust your hands, touch the, mm -hmm. I mean, it's all about that. Yeah. Um, the, the Amos one is an interesting one. So again, <laughs> King James is the only one out of all of them that translates it as upon the altar. Um, all of the other versions and the, and the Hebrew says, I saw the Lord standing by or beside the altar. Because um, <laughs> I had this vision when I was reading that one. I was like, the Lord's standing on the altar? Because if you look at the context, it's talking about the altar of sacrifice in the temple. And I'm like, so he's like literally on the altar as if, you know, the symbolism of like the lamb on the altar kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. and, and I was like, mm, that's really interesting. But looking up at all the original translations, it's, by or beside the altar oh. so <laughs> there goes that image dang it <laughs> but but regardless there's many times that an altar is present and i have to wonder if it's required mm -hmm. um for one of these kinds of visitations um Oh, you're good. What were you saying? Sorry, I was just thinking as you said that that's that's such a cool observation. Um, do you see that with? Um, oh my gosh, I'm blinking. 
brother Jared. Thank you. <laughs> um, like his seeing, seeing the Lord, yeah. like altar wise, or just I'm curious. Just taking a look at that, I hadn't looked that one up yet because, like yeah. here in the these verses that it has in the book, it doesn't yeah. mention the altar. But let me do a word search really quick because I I, I would almost think that there has to be. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I can't remember. I'm trying to remember and I can't. I, that's a very interesting question. Just such a cool observation. You're good at seeing these little details that, man, yeah, there's so much detail to, to see. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not seeing altar listed anywhere in the Ether account. I'm still looking. Doesn't mean it wasn't there. Yeah, doesn't mean it wasn't there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like Abraham and Jacob and and Amos. I mean, we have those three for sure that have the altar. What about Moses? The Moses one, because Moses is so extensive. Like I haven't had time to like read the entire yeah, thing yeah. all the way through to look for altar. Yeah, he's kind of in yeah. a special category. Mm -hmm. I these other ones, I mean, just surprised like that all of Peter didn't also have an altar. I'll bet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Um, with but Isaiah, it's weird, for, isn't yeah. it? When you go to the temple and you're watching that, how? when they are cast out of the uh, paradise of Eden, they, the first thing they do is they build the altar, but who's the first person that shows up? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's um, cool to think about looking, looking at where, where they are when they have that face-to-face um, -face encounter with God and, you know. I mean, I think I always think of like, well, yeah, commonly like on a mountain or whatever is a common one, but, but that's cool to think also there would be an altar there because, you know, the mm -hmm. mountain representing the temple. So, yeah. Um, the Isaiah one also mentions the altar. So when he has his first vision there in chapter six, um, that the angel comes and takes the coal off of the altar and then receives that throne vision and stuff. So there, there's an altar in so, that one too. So Isaiah too. So who are all the ones that there's an altar again? I'm writing these down. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We have Amos, Isaiah, Abram, and Jacob. At least the, in the scriptures tonight. I, you we, know, we, <laughs> I'm we sure are... if we really pondered it, we could find out a whole bunch more. Right, and, and we suppose maybe either. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, I, I would I This is be so fascinating. So these are all before, these are pre-mortal. I was just wondering, mm -hmm. you think that's with, when, um, like nowadays when people see them, do you think an altar's involved too? And, well, that's what I was thinking that the, it's the difference because the first vision is not an altar. The Kirtland uh -huh. Temple is not an altar. It's on the pulpit, but it's not an altar. And um, huh. like the, the Old Testament altars are always like 
the the rough stone right i mean it can't be mm -hmm. man-made at all it has to be like the, i mean there's very specific types of, of altars and but yet every other time in in the restoration that i'm thinking of there there's not an altar present and so is there a difference between anti-mortal appearances where the the altar is involved versus post-mortal appearances where it doesn't seem to be the case i don't know or maybe something to do with when he presents himself to the gentiles versus mm -hmm. house That's you know too. israelites or something but anyways but the altar does make sense as what it symbolizes so Ah, cool things. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that struck me the other day when I was listening to, <laughs> I'm really bad at names when I'm listening. Um, so Linda Cherry's podcast. Who's the one that's always on there with her? Um, Sam Caster. Yeah, Sam Caster. So Sam Caster was telling the experience of his. Was it his dad or his grandpa? His grandfather. He was my favorite professor at BYU. Uh -huh. He's the one that yeah, first pointed so, me to Christ. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so he was saying that he would always go up on the mountain. Like he would always take the hike up the mountain and build an altar and pray. Like mm -hmm. that was the, the thing. Out that loud. Was saying. Too, he didn't even, he didn't even mumble his prayer. He would pray his, his prayers out mm -hmm. loud. Yeah. And then bring and so, home a big heavy stone from each encounter on the mountain. He had piled yeah. stones in their yard. It was almost as if he were, was making all of this. <laughs> he was an awesome professor. He was so instrumental in changing my life. His mm -hmm. grandfather, his name was um, George W. Pace. Yeah. Amazing man. Yeah. And, you know, kind of similarly, <laughs> he also kind of got about persecuted uh, by some in the church at, at one point yes, and he did but it nearly broke uh, his when he heart had truth, he got truth it nearly broke his heart yeah but i, I just started reading uh, his stuff recently and man some, some amazing stuff there but um anyway that the altar image there that he was uh bringing forward so so maybe there there are some cases that the, there are altars and is there a if you're inside the temple already, is there a need for uh, an actual altar to, to have the visitation? Or I don't know. Mm -hmm. Just some questions to ask. Something to ponder. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about how in the early days of the church, the early saints, a lot of them had altars in their homes. I was wondering if that was a the reason. I don't know. I, my mind was just yeah. going. Yeah, the all earth, the pioneer homes had an altar. It they did. I did not know yeah. that. Oh, yeah, explain a, that. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. Like all the Nauvoo homes and and all of the the pioneer ones when they came west, they had an altar and it had you know different specifications on how to build it like there's some uh, little pamphlets that they used to pass out like if you want to build an altar here's the kind of things that you need to build it by or whatever but anyway it was for family prayers at, at night and in morning and but um they discontinued that i can't remember what year do you remember mother i don't um, remember that was late 80s early 90s uh, 
Oh. Or 1900s, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> just a second. I, when I say things, I, I don't mean late 1800s, early 1900s, not yeah. 80s, 90s. Yeah, of, no, of this decade. Sorry, that came just out really stopped. <laughs> Yeah, we were not doing that in the 1980s. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Cameron, what church did you belong to? I've seen it in my mind, but I, I, I realized it came out wrong. <laughs> we know what you meant. So, so is that something that like the Israelites did or Jews? Like, did they have altars in their homes or just wondering where that came from? They definitely did in their tents, their, their Sukkot, when they were uh, celebrating yeah, the Feast of Tabernacles. But I don't know if they had them in their homes at all times. I have no idea. And but, Cameron, is a um, tabernacle, is that also synonymous with a tent, a temporary dwelling? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they're, they're different Hebrew words, but they, they are very um, synonymous and, and have parallels. Kind of like, well, I mean, like Three Little Pigs, that's the best thing. Because <laughs> Three Little Pigs is the story of, of um, uh, house versus stake center versus temple. Like, it's the, the degree of holiness that, uh, that it mm -hmm. is, but we are to make everything that we do holy. And so, yeah, that they had those. And we also had altars in our stake centers. Um, the, the high council room used to have uh, altars in them as well. And we used that... to build tabernacles too, but I don't know what mm -hmm. the purpose of them was. We don't build tabernacles any longer. Yeah, the tabernacles were, were mostly for, for meetings and for um, like more of like the, the musical and uh, community type. More of a events. gathering place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. As far as I know, they never had like altars or, or pulpits or anything in them, but I could be wrong on that. I don't know. But yeah, we used to have altars all over the place. <laughs> we just don't anymore. You know, it's funny because we, um, what do you call it? More kind of the new agey spirituality stuff. I come from California, so I feel like I've been around a lot of that. <laughs> they are all about creating altars. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It's very popular right now. Um, they have all their little sacred stones or feathers or candles or sometimes images of their spiritual leaders. Um, sometimes they'll put up you know, uh, the Japanese put up altars with pictures of their ancestors, but that's not new agey. They've been doing that for a long time, but, but it's very popular right now to create personal altars in your home. So like, like shrines or, or like actual kneeling not really altars? Shrine. They call them altars. Some of them would, you would hmm. probably say are more shrines because they will, they will put up a picture of for instance, I don't know if you've heard of, um, I can't think of his name, but he was a really charismatic, he was one of the first people from India that came to the West. He was called in a dream to come to the West and teach the people in the West, and he didn't really want to go, but he felt he'd been called. So he came, and nobody in our country, it was like in the 30s, had ever seen a man wearing robes, and, you know, it was just so odd, and but he established a beautiful um, congregation 
in a really beautiful place in California on the coast. And um, his very most intimate, um, like, companion, elder, helper was actually a Mormon woman from Salt Lake City. And he, he, a lot of people have shrines with his image. I've seen them. Mm -hmm. And, and um, so it's, it's, those were shrines because they would put flowers and things around it all the time. Um, but mm -hmm. that, but, but the personal altars are different. They're for the person's personal, you know, worship. And they, they're not necessarily about, you know, memorializing somebody. Hmm. Yeah, but they're very popular right now. So I, I always think it's so interesting how like here we are as LDS being really, um, you know, so interested in ancestral healing and intergenerational iniquities and working through Christ to be able to heal our, our families and do temple work. And that's another big buzzword all over the place in Cal. I can only speak for California is all about doing your ancestral healing. <laughs> so it's really, to me, it's interesting how, while we're doing things through Christ, how often there are, I'm not going to say counterfeits. I'm not going to say that they're not there isn't some legitimacy or some value in what they're doing but it does make you wonder where all these other ideas are always popping up that are mm -hmm. very similar to what we're doing <laughs> yeah, anyway just something so to think about <laughs> well that's how satan works a lot is he always did the counterfeit yeah the great I mean, imitator can't do anything original he's an imitator yeah yeah you know um let's see like some of the other ones so we have like the the king lamoni one in alma um that i think has some interesting uh, nuances to it. it says for as sure as thou livest behold i have seen my redeemer and he shall come forth and be born of a woman, and he shall redeem all mankind who believe on his name. Now when he had said these words, his heart was swollen within him, and he sunk again with joy. And the queen also sunk, being over, or sunk down, being overpowered by the spirit. And so, um, there we're having, I don't know, what you would probably more call like the dream or vision one, like uh, we were talking mm -hmm. with Aaron and Miriam on the previous page. Um but we have all sorts of different types of, of visitations or interactions with the Lord. And, um, and King Lamoni's was, is more in that category versus like the Enoch one over on the DNC reference. And Enoch saw the Lord and he walked with him and was before his face continually. And he walked with God 365 years, making him 430 years old when he was translated. I would think if you walked with God that long, you would be translated. That would definitely be part of that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You would be so changed by that. I mean, physically, can you even imagine what that would do to the cells of your body? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So many interesting 
And so I found this question very interesting at the very end. It says, how could the testimonies of a pre-mortal Messiah prepare those who lived during Christ's mortal ministry? How can my knowledge of him prepare me for his second coming? And so, I mean, there, there's lots of nuances to that and cultural things that, you know, we barely hit the tip of the iceberg with. But um, how could those testimonies um, have helped prepare those who lived during his mortal ministry? I think that's an interesting thing to think about. Because, I mean, it, it is replete, isn't it? I mean, we have, we have many different uh, things where uh, God is among them. But it'll be interesting to see if he's different in post-mortal appearances. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't had time to, to look at those two other references there. Um, well, I guess I, I have read that book before, but not with that context in mind uh, for Jeffrey R. Hollins. But I really want to look at and go and read... Uh, Stephen Iba's A Cloud of Witnesses. Uh, I think that that would be a really interesting read to, to do this week. But yeah, I mean, every single one of these, because I tried to, to do this topical guide study a while back, and, and I got a little ways and stuff, but I wasn't getting <coughs> near out of it, like I, what I'm getting now. And with the effort and, and time put into it, like things are just popping like with advocate for anyone that was here with that one, like I wasn't expecting much. I was just like, Oh, okay. There's not very many references here. Maybe, <laughs> but with that and this anti-mortal one, like there are so many things to ponder and think about, but I, I guess it's just doing word studies. I think that's where I've got all of it was going to the original Hebrew uh, and just looking words up. Yeah, that really added a lot of texture um, to, to your discussion, Cameron. One of these days, even <laughs> if we don't get the sealed portion of the, the Book of Mormon yet, if they could just give us the lexicon <laughs> for the words, I'll do the word studies in what we've got right now, because that would be so fun. Because it's awesome to go and look at the original Hebrew for and Greek for all of these Bible references. But as soon as we get to the Book of Mormon, you just kind of have to take their word for it and, and uh, you know, kind of wrestle and, and try to apply different passages and, and things. But it'd be so fun to do word studies on that. Have you, um, as you've like studied, started diving into the Hebrew, has... Uh, sorry, this question just popped into my mind when I said that, but like, has the wording in the Book of Mormon, I don't know, do you come across words or phrases? And obviously, they, they're going to link to the Bible or, you know, especially the Old Testament and like, does it, how am I trying to ask this? Like, you know, I know the Book of Mormon helps us understand the old testament but i'm just wondering as you study the hebrew and then you can see these words in the book of mormon and maybe you get a better understanding of certain words or whatever i don't mm -hmm. know yeah that's just very much yeah so. i'm thinking out loud <laughs> uh -huh. so um a while back we stumbled across that that one version um that uh, 
this group has come out with. It's called the Stick of Joseph in the Hand of Ephraim, I believe. But anyway, it's taking the Book of Mormon and just plugging back in the Hebrew words and and highlighting some of those similarities and, and differences. It's like, oh my goodness, it has been such a fascinating read to, especially as I'm, I'm studying the Hebrew and understanding some of these things, most of like the names of places and people are, are already rich with the, the Hebrew um, context. Like it, looking up and doing word studies just on their name, uh, kind of transliterate it over to uh, the Hebrew characters and, and then look that up in a lexicon. Um, it, it's so fascinating the, the richness and depth that there is in it. I mean, there's no way that Joseph Smith could have just made those things up. And I think so, Robert yeah, I, Kay does a really good job of bringing out some of the Hebrew flavor in mm -hmm. the Book of Mormon. Um, yeah, any of his YouTube videos um, on those names really help to bring out the Hebrew from the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, sure. That is a really good, that is a fascinating one. Yeah. And just another witness of the truthfulness of the book of mormon so cool mm -hmm. yeah yeah and, i love um, listening to what the, the people who have converted from you know mm -hmm. the jewish faith the insights that they bring to us from their traditions as they look into the book of mormon it's just really yeah. interesting what's that one guy's name um Olson or something let me look up his name like his is an amazing uh, mm -hmm. book that just came out uh, I was listening to Hugh Nibley talk about um, having some like Muslim students in a Book mm -hmm. of Mormon class and they were you know just like culturally and everything they were just like yeah they were it was really resonating with them and then, oh, what do you say about like when uh, Nephi was commanded to cut off Laban's head? Like for them, they're like, why did he even hesitate? You know, like, because to them, it was so obvious that he should have or uh, that it would have been appropriate, you know? And so anyways, I, yeah, those kind of things are super interesting. Um. There was another one that popped in my head, but I forgot what it was as I was looking at that other one. But um, Jason Olson, uh, a Jewish convert uh, to the LDS faith. Well, I guess Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints faith. <laughs> but um, amazing story and uh, lots of those Hebraisms in there. What was his name? Jason Olson. Doesn't sound very Jewish name. <laughs> um, it's called the burning book is what the title of his the burning is. the burning book mm -hmm. mm. um oh, i almost had that one there's another one that does a lot of the hebrew in the book of mormon but um carrie mulstein does a lot of the egyptian influence in the book of mormon as well mm -hmm. and and highlights some of those things that, that come through um well like it's so interesting it makes me think maybe i need to just 
you know, keep living forever so that I can continue. <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. Like, I don't want to deal with my body being that old, but <laughs> like when Enoch is 300 and something years, I'm like, that would be really nice, actually. <laughs> Get to study all this. Especially the book lists that Cameron keeps. <laughs> that will take 365 years. <laughs> did you see my podcast screen there at the beginning yeah that's gonna it's gonna be a bit this next year um anyway anything else on um that topical guide study if not we'll take a, a quick break and then we'll come back for come follow me for daniel well, let's, let's vote really quick before we do take a break of which Daniel we want to do. Because what I, I don't know, it, this might be a dumb idea too, but um, so here's like the, the six chapters for Come Follow Me this week. So chapter one is about the, the pults um, and them not eating uh, of the king's meat and, and stuff like that. Uh, chapter two is receiving of the dream. Chapter three is the the furnace, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then chapter four is the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Chapter five is the writing on the wall at the temple. And then, well, not at the temple, but... Um, and then chapter six is Daniel in the lion's den. I was just wanting to go through and actually do kind of like a dive into the Hebrew of uh, one of those chapters. So any preference on what you guys would like to do tonight like which of all of those fun stories <laughs> if not i'll make my mom pick <laughs> <laughs> but whatever one we don't do tonight we'll do on saturday morning when we do it i thought you said we weren't gonna do come follow me cameron or is it just this week yeah just this week just because that's what uh, people were kind of prepared for or were studying Oh, for. okay. But, and then yeah, next week next. we won't be doing it. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah, so this will be our last one. I'd kind of like to hear what you're... Uh, maybe what the you've seen in the dreams, but I, I think any of it would be awesome. Yeah. Let's see, chapter two and, and four, we'll kind of dive into those with Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Yeah, it'll be fun. So yeah, we'll uh, stop the recording, take a quick break, and then uh, hop back on here soon. <laughs>